thank our praise team for leading our worship this morning, and putting all the cords up and everything. No, and thank you for worshiping with us. If you brought your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 2. Um, Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. And we want to look at verses 1 through 12. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. I'm going to share a sermon with you titled, Wise Men Still Seek Him. And so, how true that is. Matthew chapter 2. We want to look at verses 1 through 12. If you would, just out of respect and reverence to God's Word, would you please stand as we read the inerrant, infallible, inspired Word of God? Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who was born or been born king of the Jews? For we've seen his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all of Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. And when they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures... They presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. And thank you, Father, for the power that's in your word. Allow your Holy Spirit to be our teacher and guide this morning. Father, speak to my heart. Let me share what you would have me to share. Let me share in the right spirit you would have me to share in. And Father, may you be honored and glorified in everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Please be seated. As one reads uh, Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus, one will find that Matthew's account deals with a complete different theme than Luke. Now, we're pretty familiar with Luke. But uh, Luke is our kindly go-to chapter for the details of the Annunciation to Mary, the details to the journey to Bethlehem, place of delivery, and then the details of the announcement to the shepherds and to the arrival at the stable there in Bethlehem. 
So the point is, Luke's de- Luke details the information kindly leading up to the birth of Jesus. And I was studying, preparing for it today. I was going to preach a sermon. Uh, a, there's a sermon that I'm working on about the, the day before Christmas and then the day after Christmas. But there's not much said about the period of time right when Jesus was born. And so the closest we have to it right now is the visit from these magi or from the wise men. But the theme of Matthew is not much about the birth, but it's about his kingship, the kingship of Jesus. So in Matthew chapter 1, Matthew gives the genealogy of Jesus in which he establishes Jesus' right to be Israel's true and final king. And so as he moves to chapter 2, Matthew gives three additional evidences of Jesus' absolute right to be on the throne of David. The first is the testimony of the wise men, chapter 2, verse 1 through 12, and then the hatred of Herod, and then the third, the fulfillment of three messianic promises, his birth, his childhood, and his location. One location being in Nazareth, Bethlehem, and Egypt. And so the point is, to understand the visit of the wise men, you have to understand that they're looking for the king of kings, and they find him. And so first you have, who are these magi? Who are these wise men? And so to understand the wise men, you have to separate fact from fiction. Uh, Legend has it that there are three kings. Uh, Legend gives the names to these kings as Caspar and Belthazar and Melchior. However, the facts that we know are given by Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. doesn't mention exactly how many kings. doesn't mention the names of the kings. And we don't know uh, the transportation, the countries they came from. have a pretty good idea, but it's not mentioned in Matthew chapter 2. So we only know that they were from the east. That's fact. And so we also know uh, that... Uh, uh, God is, is speaking to them in a very personal way. And God uh, speaks to those who are God-fearing. And we feel that these three wise men were God-fearing, somewhat like uh, Cornelius and Lydia was God-fearing in Acts chapter 10, verses 1 and 2. And so you have the wise men. And what were they doing? First of all, if you're jotting down notes, first outline point is they were looking for this new king. And that's important. When they arrived in Jerusalem, they began asking a question in chapter 2, verse 2. The the Bible says that they began saying. Now, the word saying there is uh, uh, a present participle, which means continual action. They, They continued to ask. They continued to say. They continued to ask. They went around the city asking everyone that they met, where is he that is born king of the Jews? Where is he that is born king of the Jews? And they were trying to find the king of the Jews. And they were asking everyone that they came in contact with. And they were sure, they were sure that everyone would know where this new king would be. But the sad thing was, not many people knew where the new king was. They were just shocked that no one knew about this special king. Now let me just stop, pause, and say this. Not everyone today knows about this special king today. And that's where our job is. That's our main mission today as a church and as believers is to let others know 
who this special king is. And that's Jesus Christ. He's the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords. And so our job is to let others know who this king is. And so they were looking for this new king. But secondly, they followed a star. It's interesting, verse 2 says, they, uh, they had seen a star in the east, for we have seen his star in the east. Now, in poetry, that's called the eastern star. But for our information, uh, they didn't follow the eastern star. Uh, if they had seen his star in the east, uh, and it had been an eastern star, they would have followed east. They would have wound up somewhere in India or China or somewhere like that. But the point is, the star was in the west, and the wise men were in the east. The star was in the west, and they followed the star. And so now it's, it's been a lot of speculation about the star. Some suggest the star was just Jupiter. Some suggest the star was Jupiter and Saturn. Some suggest that it was just a low-hanging uh, low meteor, some erratic um, uh, comet that came through. But, uh, and then some have suggested that it was uh, the glory of the Lord. The glory of the Lord shining down. Uh, the same glory that shone around the shepherds uh, when Jesus' birth was announced in Luke chapter 2, verse 9. And in the Old Testament, we're told how the glory of the Lord manifested itself as light. When Jesus was transfigured before Peter and James and John on the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, the, the Bible tells us that uh, that. He, his face shone like the sun and his garments became white as light in Matthew 17, verse 2. If you remember on the Damascus Road when Saul of Tarsus was traveling down the Damascus, the Damascus Road to persecute the church, all of a sudden he was surrounded by a light from heaven in Acts chapter 9, verse 3. So the point to remember is that the Hebrew word and the Greek word for star was also used to represent a great brilliance or a great radiance. And so that's why some people think this great light that they were following toward was uh, just the Shekinah glory of God. Numbers chapter 24 verse 17 says, The Messiah is spoken of as a star that shall come forth from Judah. Revelation 22, verse 16, Jesus refers to himself as the bright and morning star. So the point is the Shekinah glory of God stood over Bethlehem just like it had centuries before. And so it could have been a special star, we don't know for sure, but it could have been just the Shekinah glory of God. So uh, only the eyes of the Magi were open to see this great light over Bethlehem. You know, uh, there are other people in Bethlehem. There are other people in nearby areas, but no one followed. No one went toward the light. No one went toward the light. I remember years ago when, when our daughter and son-in-law and uh, grandson lived in um, Hayden. We'd go through Coleman, go in there, and, and going back, it's dark, it's real dark, and all of a sudden we would be meeting them in Coleman, kind of uh, dropping Canaan off and meeting them halfway, and they'd meet in Coleman. We'd meet them there, drop him off. And then we'd cut to a certain place, and I'd say, I see the lights of Coleman. 
And we were following those slides, going to those slides. Well, the Shekinah glory could have been the light that was pointing these wise men to Jesus. And they were looking for this new king. And they found him after they saw the star, after they saw the light. And the point is, people find Jesus today by seeing the light. By seeing the light. You know, remember the song you used to sing years ago about, I saw the light, I saw the light. No more darkness, no more night. You know who wrote that song? Hank Williams wrote that song. He did, and it was one of the top gospel hits for years and years. But what does it mean to see the light? You know, before a person is saved, they see the light. Now, what does that mean? Well, it simply means to give, it gives a, all of a sudden you have a, an understanding of something that previously you didn't understand. All of a sudden it's just clear to you. And that could happen to you today. You've probably never have understood Jesus Christ to be the Savior of the world. Then all of a sudden, as the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart, you understand it for the first time. Hey, I'm lost. I need Jesus Christ to be my Lord and my Savior. And all of a sudden, you're enlightened to the fact that you need a Savior. You saw the light. You see the light. And every person that's come to Christ, seen the light, they've trusted Christ because they've recognized who he is and what he came to earth for. And that was to be their Savior. And so uh, today, my prayer is that you'll, you'll see the light, that you'll, all of a sudden you'll gain understanding of something previously you did not understand, and you'll come to know Christ in a new and personal way. And so these wise men, they were looking for a new king, and they followed a star, and then they found the king. If you look in verse 11, it's interesting. They found the king, not in a stable, but look. And when they had come into the house, they found him in a house. They saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented him gifts. They presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so they found him. They found him in a house, no longer in a stable. Most people think, most theologians think, that he was uh, several months old, perhaps up to two months old. The Bible kindly um, uh, signifies that or kind of hints to it because Herod gave a decree that all male children from two years old down be killed. And so we think that he was not unstable anymore, but he was a toddler perhaps, just a few months old. And so they found him. They found him in a house. And what did they do when they found him? They worshipped him. They worshipped him. That's found in verse 11. And when they come into the house... They saw the young child with Mary and his mother, and they fell down, and they worshipped him. Now, let me say this. They worshipped who? They worshipped him. Now, if there was a time that Mary could have been worshipped, or if there was a time that Mary should have been worshipped, it would have been right here. But they didn't worship Mary. Who did they worship? They worshipped him. He's the one to be worshipped. He's the one to be worshipped. They worshipped him. How did they worship? They gave gifts. They gave offerings to him. You know, it's kind of it's interesting that ever since the beginning of mankind, man has a desire to give an offering to God. From time to time, mankind wants to give an offering to God. Genesis chapter 4, you have Cain and Abel. Cain was a tiller of the soil. So what did he do? He carries this offering to God, vegetables, some of the best 
from the best uh, vegetables that he had. He carried that as an offering, a gift to God. And then you had Abel. What did he do? He was a keeper of the flock. He wanted to give an offering to God. So what did he give to God? He brought God the, the best of his flock, the best, a sacrificed lamb, the best lamb that he could find. You remember Abraham? Abraham gave an offering to a person by the name of Melchizedek, Genesis chapter 14, 18 through 20, the great high God. And so he gave an offering. And then you come down to Mary of Bethany. Remember her? She went and took an alabaster box full of oil, full of oil, and she broke that and poured that expensive oil on the head of Jesus. Now, why did she do that? She wanted to give an offering. She wanted to give a gift. And then you have Joseph of Arimathea. What did he give? He gave his tomb to Jesus to be buried in. He gave an offering. He gave a gift. Then you had Nicodemus. Nicodemus came and he brought over a hundred pounds of these special spices to wrap the body, to kind of embalm the body of Jesus. He, he brought the special spices as a gift. So the point is when we think of our Lord and we begin to count our blessings that God has blessed us with, first thing we want to do is just an instinct. We want to give an offering. We want to give a gift to God. And that's what, that's what the wise men did. And so just our natural reaction is to express our love and our gratitude with a gift. And this is what, this was the response of the magi, or the wise men. And verse, uh, verse 11, they presented him gold. Now this gold was, gold is kindly a sign of royalty. Giving gold to Jesus was a sign of his, his, of his kingship. They wanted to point out that he was a king and they brought gold to give to him. And then um, speaks of Jesus being the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And then they brought frankincense. Frankincense was this gum risen from a tree sap. Uh, I was thinking about this kind of like if you've been around a pine tree and you get that old pine resin on you and you know it's real sticky. Well, frank, well frankincense was similar to that and they used it in the temple uh, as incense and it was, they used it as anointing oil and they, they'd use it as perfume and uh, when they would burn it, it would, the white smoke would go up and so they would use it as incense and so when they gave that to Jesus, that was symbolic of his deity, symbolic of his priesthood and so every gift had a special meaning. They may have not been aware, but they were led to give those gifts, but God brought out the meaning in those gifts. And then they gave the myrrh. Myrrh, the word myrrh uh, means bitter, bitterness. And so the myrrh was used uh, in embalming. It was used in the burial. And so it symbolizes the death, burial that Jesus uh, would face on Calvary. So they brought their gifts. And so the wise men expressed their love, hope, admiration to the King of Kings just by giving an offering. I was thinking about that. Uh, that was, uh, that's where our custom comes from at Christmas in giving gifts. Uh, expressing our love and admiration to, to our family and to our friends. And we, we offer gifts. And that's okay to do that. You know, don't stop giving gifts. It's good to do that. But they traveled, they traveled to Jerusalem. They traveled to Bethlehem just to give gifts to the new king. wonder if you wanted to give something to Jesus today. How would you do that? As I was studying, I, I, I thought, well, if we could give a gift to Jesus, 
Where could we find Jesus today to give that gift? If we wanted to give gold, if we wanted to give money, if we wanted whatever, we wanted to give a gift to Jesus, where could we go and give that gift? The Bible is real plain and it's real beautiful. And it tells uh, how we can give to Jesus today. A beautiful part of the gospel message is that Christ identifies himself with his people. He identifies himself with his people. He identifies himself with the church, his people. Um, uh, when I bring my tithe, my offering, and I place it in an offering plate, I'm giving that to Jesus. I'm giving it to him because he identifies with his people. He identifies with the church. When I give my mission fund to Lottie Moon, I'm giving my offering to Jesus because he identifies with the church. He identifies with his people. It's just not throwing it in some basket or some brass plate just haphazardly, but it's an act of worship. I'm giving my, my, my offering, my gift to Jesus. It's an offering to him. And so the wise men brought their offering gift and placed it before him, and they worshipped him. And we can do the same thing today. That's what an offering is. It's an act of worship. So after a while, when we receive our offering, it's just not a, just a split time in the service. It's not intermission to go to the bathroom or get a drink of water. It's worship. You're giving a gift to Jesus when you give your offering. He identifies himself with his church, with the people. And so you have the wise men. They were looking for the new king. They followed the star. They found the king in a house. And then they worshipped him. And so today we celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me ask you this question. How have you responded to this new king? Have you responded to him? You'll respond to him in one way today before you leave. One of three ways you'll respond to him. First of all, you'll respond to him like Herod responded. Uh, he was hostile to Jesus. He wanted to murder Jesus. You'll respond to him like the chief priest or the scribes responded, and they were real indifferent. They could care less about this person called Jesus. Some of you may be like that today. You could just say, hey, this is nothing to me. You're so indifferent. Or you can respond like those wise men. You can respond by just following the light, following the Holy Spirit as he speaks to your heart and your life, and then worship him. Worship Him by giving yourself to Him this morning. You ever given yourself to Christ? You know, he, He'd rather have you than anything else in the world. And people say, well, I gave my life to Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. You give your total self to Him. You belong to Him. And He, uh, he wants you to offer yourself to Him. So the wise men brought gifts to Him. God wants you. Wise men seek after Jesus. And wise men still seek after Jesus today. And I hope you're wise enough to do that. Let's have a word of prayer together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for an opportunity that we can just uh, be here today on this Christmas day. And Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking to my heart this morning. And Father, I pray for each person here. And I pray for those who have never trusted Christ. And Father, they're, they're trying to celebrate Christmas without Christ. And so I pray today that your, that your Spirit will speak to their heart and draw them to you. 
And Lord, that their eyes will be open. They'll see the light. They'll, they'll see and they'll understand something they've never understood before, that they're lost without you. And that one day death will come knocking at their door. And without Christ, Father, they won't have a home in eternity. But Father, there's a place prepared for those that reject you, in that place called hell. And I pray today that they will see today their need for Jesus Christ and would humble their heart and ask Christ to come into their life and save them. Father, it's a special time that we can come together and worship on Christmas Day. Lord, it'll be ten more years before it falls on a Sunday. Lord, I'll be, I'll be, it'll be eleven years. I'll be 82 years old, Lord, when that happens. And so this is a special time today as we've met together. Thank you for this time. And we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.